everybody. This is Hater Radio. My name is Chris McLean. This is a college football podcast. I'm here again with my co-host Ian Gibson. Ian, how are you this weekend? Doing this good. Week? Uh, feeling very fortunate after the hurricane. So uh, definitely very uh, grateful, man. Yeah, your your namesake uh, almost destroyed Southwest Florida. There, it was. You know, it, it almost man, it almost it. completely took out Tampa Bay, but it took a right hand turn and just man, it really it really did some damage down there. Yeah, yeah. Hope hopefully everybody will be okay. We can get you know everything back to the way it was. Yeah, it's um, you know I have family that are down there. Um, a lot of people I know, like football teammates, that are down there. So it was definitely. Um, very scary just to hear what was going on. Most of the people I know didn't have really anything that affected them too bad. So, which was fortunate, but I know countless people did, you know, there was last I saw, there was like at least 74 people had passed away from it. And, um, you know, the damage, I don't even know how much the damage is totally, but it, it's going to be a lot, probably several hundred million maybe even into the billions which is insane because you know it's just it's just tough you know these hurricanes are really tough so let's uh hope everyone's all right and uh let's move on from that so uh to begin with we are a college football podcast we are dedicated to the world of major college football um we focus on southern teams the sec florida uh and then also ACC teams as well, and then some Big Ten, but mainly any good college football team we will talk about, and that's just what we do. We try to talk about all the uh, major college teams. I live in L.A., so I talk about UCLA and USC, which, hey, by the way, they're both undefeated and uh, looking very good, and uh, we do talk about USF as well, South Florida and Tampa, but it's been kind of bad this year, so... We may talk about them uh, possibly replacing a coach soon. But regardless, what we do here as a show is each episode, we will recap the games that happened previously. We'll talk about the Heisman uh, front runners, and then we'll talk about the uh, potential playoff teams. Then lastly, what we'll do is look ahead to the week coming up and all the games there and give our thoughts and give our predictions as well. So with that being said, let's do our socials real quick. Our socials are at hater underscore radio for both Twitter and Insta. And our website is haterradio.com. You can reach us at haterradio1 at gmail.com for email. Um, Ian, what are your socials? Yes, uh, Instagram, G double underscore gator double underscore G and uh, YouTube, G gator G. Okay, so that's us. That's where to reach us. We do have articles on there. I'm actually going to do a UCLA article because UCLA is playing uh, Utah this week, which is a huge game, not only for Pac-12 possibilities, but right now uh, with both teams doing so well, CFP possibilities as well. So with that being said, check us out there. Let's start the show. So we're going to recap week five which was a very good week a lot of interesting things going on a lot of very close games uh starting off with the washington ucla game on friday i didn't get to sit down and watch this game because i was actually driving to uh lake arrowhead in uh, in the mountains but um it was 
in the recap I watched, it was great. It was, you know, UCLA played amazing. Uh, you know, the offense is just clicking Charbonnet, uh, Charbonneau, uh, DTR, and the, the wide receiver Bobo. Just amazing, all three of them. I mean, you know, it was looking like a blowout. And then, you know, uh, Washington came back there to make it a one-score game. But, I mean, really, UCLA was in control like the whole way. I really like this UCLA team a ton. I've liked them since last year, and it just continues to grow. DTR, I mean, is silently moving up the, like, potential Heisman possibilities because he has, like, a 74 completion percentage, which is, like, amazing. Um, Just efficient team. They only punted once the entire game, and that was in the fourth quarter. Uh, They were just – I mean – I was amazed because it was like they did it without any turnovers. They were controlling the pace of the play. You know, they didn't control the ball as much like they did at time of possession, but they were just, they were the better team. And they looked, they made Michael Penix look average, which has been kind of difficult for most defenses because he's been the one to really take it to people. But UCLA looked really good in this one. Uh, What did you see in this one, Ian? Yeah, this is one of those games where, I, again, I feel bad somebody had to lose because yeah. both teams played fin, uh, did play fantastic throughout, you know, the entirety of the game. Uh, I would say that because it was looking like a blowout and, you know, Washington just wouldn't go away. I believe it was 40 to 16 at one point going into the fourth quarter um, and just Washington wouldn't give up, uh, which is, you know, very admirable. But UCLA would was able to make the big plays, force the turnovers, make uh, Penix uncomfortable, uh, which was the key thing. Um, and, yeah, the offense was fantastic. Again, it's like what I mentioned last week. I think the difference was that UCLA was able to use uh, Charbonneau and DTR together. Uh, DTR had about over 300 yards and he had three touchdowns. Then he, you know, Super Mario, that one linebacker, yeah. uh, jumped over him. Uh, and then they, if they needed, they could run on the ground. While again, Washington had to make, you know, say Penix is our offense. We got to find a way to win it through him. Um, yeah. and, and they just couldn't. Uh, but very good win. Really, this is a statement win from UCLA. They get, you know, the first demon of hell month out of yeah. the way. Right. And they continue onward. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. And, you know, them going into this Utah game now, because they they struggled in that one game. I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but that uh, South Alabama game where UCLA only won by like a two points or whatever. And like everyone pretty much had written them off at that point because they were playing a lot of uh, softer teams. And uh, then they really looked really well against Colorado. And then just this week, just, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised that this team uh, – wins 10 games. I really think it's possible. And, you know, this, the schedule is hard for them because they have to play both Utah and USC, which are the two best teams in um, the PAC 12 right now. But uh, you know, at least they get Utah at home. um, And, you know, the USC game is still in their, their County. It's still in LA. So it's not like their fans won't travel, but uh, um I, I'm just intrigued about what's going to happen with this UCLA team. I'm excited. I actually tweeted out to Matt Liner today because he had said something 
about I can't remember what he said specifically, but I I was said like, well, look out for DTR. Um, he's gonna you know be a problem for the men of Troy, and he commented back and he's like, hey May, and I was like, I'm just glad that um, LA is finally on board with college football again. And he was, he was happy about that as well. So it's like, it's exciting. It's exciting because this is the second largest media market in the country. And for a long while, it's kind of been left dormant, you know, because UCLA has struggled off and on for the last, you know, almost forever. I can't really ever remember them being like a top contending team. And then USC you know, it really has been since like 2009, 2010, really. So that's that's almost 12 years since they've been really like relevant. They've had blips where they've done well, gotten to bigger bowl games, Rose Bowls, whatever. But they haven't really been like this highly touted and like really like thought of as well as they do. And I'm I'm excited because it's it makes for the people in this area to then get excited about college football. Cause it's not just USC and UCLA, then they'll start, you know, being interested in other games. And so it gets this market, you know, revitalized, which I know is a very untapped area. Cause there's a lot of people from all over the country, you know, and I think mm-hmm. if it gets more excited here, it'll just spread in this area, which is great. Uh, okay. So let's move on. Uh, the game on Saturday, one of the games that I wanted to look forward to the most was the, this Kentucky Ole Miss game. Uh, we both had it was going to be a close game, and it was. Uh, you know, Kentucky had their chances at the end. Will Levis fumbled quite a bit, and really, you know, they – I didn't understand. So they, they got that touchdown, but then it was like a penalty for like – was it like – I can't even remember what the penalty was for because it wasn't false start. It was like uh, they weren't aligned right or something like that. No, or I whatever. think it was like illegal motion. Yeah, yeah, like illegal that. motion. And it was like it looked kind of iffy because I, I, I'm almost positive now they allow most um, uh, motions to be in motion when the ball is snapped because I don't remember – it being called on a lot of these where these guys are still moving. So I don't know what the exact rule is, but it looks, it looked kind of fishy there. Cause it was like, he was moving, but he was in motion. So like, what's the, I don't know, but regardless, Kentucky win, or, or sorry, Kentucky loses 1922 and Ole Miss now is undefeated. And like, that's huge. Cause they're sets them up for a really great season because now they have, um, they'll have Alabama and Texas A&M look soft. And, you know, I think Ole Miss can be one of those teams that can be right there at the top. May not get Alabama this year, but their defense looks strong. Uh, Ian, what stands out from this game to you? Yeah, this, you know, I, I really felt bad for Kentucky. Man, yeah. it was such a gun punch because they went out and they did not look good at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, they had the touchdown, but the you know they were down fourteen nothing. Then they scored a touchdown, but the extra points blocked, and that stuck with them the whole time. They go nineteen to, they give up a safety, and it's like nineteen to six uh, or something like that. Going, I don't know. I think it was like nineteen twelve. Um, and yeah, it was nineteen twelve at one point. Yeah, going into halftime, um, and they found the two point conversion, and I'm just like, they had the fumble, which. 
they're saying should have been targeting. Um, but they got the but ball I, back. But I looked at that play it. again. I didn't understand how that was supposed to be targeting because he lowers his head. So what is that guy supposed to do? If he lowers his head, the 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 runner, I don't I don't see how because, you, they say it's because he used the crown of like the crown of his helmet hit him. Technically, I don't know, man. That is tar- the targeting. It's whatever the refs decide what will be targeting. Honestly, that's every week, man. Um, but but it's like if, if he's lowering his head, what are you supposed to do as a defender? There's literally nothing you can do. Like you, like are you gonna like at the last second as he's going down, like decide not to do it? You're just gonna go through it and just be like, fuck it. Like there's nothing know, you can do at that point. That's the problem with this rule. But yeah, regardless, I mean, it is what it is. And then you know they get the ball back, they have another chance, then the penalty, and then the fumble. I will give credit, you know. Kentucky did everything they, you know, obviously besides the difference was, was that Ole Miss was clutch on defense and Kentucky yeah. wasn't on offense. That's yeah. what it really boiled down to. Both of these teams were going back and forth. It was like they were stuck in the mud all game. I don't know. Like, I was thinking, like, when did Ole Miss get, like, I know Lane Kiffin is the offensive genius, but who's the defensive coordinator? Because they, you know, I know Kentucky isn't the most threatening offense, but they should be able to put up more than 22 points, especially when they're in the red zone that much. And yeah. somehow, someway, Ole Miss stepped up when they needed to be, while Kentucky just could not break through that wall. You can tell they were just – something was holding them back, and Ole Miss was able to capitalize on it. It was a very big win for Ole Miss. Um, like them, they got to go through hell month as well. Um, yeah. For Kentucky, it's not the end of the world, honestly – I know a loss sucks, and I'm not saying it's a moral victory to lose, but this is one where I don't – I like, if I was a Kentucky fan, I'm sure I'm getting mad at the result, but the fact that you lost isn't as upsetting because you were there the whole game, and you, although you couldn't seal the deal, it I my expectations for Kentucky still hasn't changed. I still think they're going to be a real thorn in a lot of teams' sides throughout the season. I, I still think Kentucky loses at least two more games. Um, they have Mississippi State at home, Tennessee on the road, and Georgia at home. So I can see them losing at least two of those games. Um, the rest are pretty easy. Missouri, Vanderbilt, South Carolina. They should beat those three teams, but you never know. Um, and then Louisville to round it out. So I think they should beat Louisville. So I think I think really just they have a three game schedule left here out of these seven and uh, Mississippi state looks like a much tougher game than the beginning of the year. So I would be most intrigued about that game. The other two, I really, I I don't think they have any chance against Georgia. I really don't like, even though we'll talk about what happened to Georgia, but uh, um, looking at Ole Miss, um, Ole Miss, they have an easy next two weeks, much like Georgia does, because they basically play the same opponents. Ole Miss plays Vandy and Auburn, which, you know, Georgia flip-flops those. So I feel bad for those two teams they have to play yeah. two undefeated teams right in a row. Um, but uh, that's the breaks. But then, like you said, they're a hell week. Our hell month starts from then on because then they have LSU at LSU at Texas A&M. Then they're home against Alabama. 
on the road against Arkansas and then Mississippi State at home. So that is a man, that's a five game stretch. That'll really tell us what this team is about. I think they can beat LSU. Think they can beat AM. I don't think they can beat Bama. I think they can beat Arkansas. And the Mississippi State game, I would think, is probably the toughest one right there as a 50 50 game. So if they go four and one or uh, three and two, that's awesome. Cause then they would be 10 and two or 11 and one on the season. Like that would be amazing. So, um, all right, moving on. Next game Kansas State, Texas Tech. I mean, Texas Tech has been a solid team all year. They stayed with them, but really, Adrian Martinez pretty much ran through these guys. And Kansas State wins 37 28. Uh, the kid Smith, Donovan Smith for Texas Tech, had a big game, but a lot of it was like uh, comeback yardage, you know, like when they were already down. So it's not like he was really like denting them early. Kansas State had a lead and just pretty much coasted throughout that game. I mean, Martinez didn't even put up a lot of yardage passing wise, but he killed it running wise. He had 171 yards and three TDs, and then Deuce Vaughn went wild. And Deuce had 170. So, and it was really only those two. It was, and the other, there was a third guy that ran the ball and he only got six yards. That was really between Martinez and Vaughn, and they really destroyed those guys. Um, but uh, I don't know, man. This is kind of interesting with this Kansas State team. They lost to, um, God, who did they lose to? They lost to, do you remember? Uh, Tulane. Was it to, yeah, it yeah. was Tulane. Wow. Good memory. Uh, so they have everything to play for in front of them for as far as the Big 12. They've got, you know, the next the next five weeks. Well, I don't know what's going on with Kansas because this is getting interesting with Kansas. But yeah. as of right now, at the end of the season, the Kansas-Kansas State matchup is the 19th and 20th ranked team. So... <laughs> Uh, we'll see there. I, I don't think anyone called that coming into this year. But but before that, their tough stretches, Iowa State on the road, TCU on the road, and then Oklahoma State at home and Texas at home, and then Baylor on the road. So a very tough stretch. You know, it's, it's really once these teams start getting in the heart of conference play where you start to see what teams really stand out and what teams are actually – like worthwhile and actually good because you know they'll get a bunch of cupcakes where you know even Oklahoma looked amazing beating all these soft teams and then it's like boom right in a row they play two tough teams and they get beat you know they got beat by Kansas State last week and mm-hmm. you know they got beat this week so it's like it just just proves that it's a lot more difficult in conference to be uh to win out but uh Anything from this stands out to you? I'll I'll just say this. I mean, again, watching the game, this was like the most stubborn defense I saw with Texas Tech because it was clear throughout the game. Martinez was going to be mobile. They they knew it was probably like, okay, check down uh, your first option, maybe the second guy, if not, take off. And they played man and zone all game. They didn't even try to put uh, a spy or a linebacker to just anticipate him running. And I was just like watching the whole game. And I was like, how are you guys like, how do you guys not know that? Like, 
that's just bad game planning. I, I said that when I was watching the game. I was like, game planning is what lost the game for Texas Tech because Martinez was able to run all over them, and they did nothing to change it. Uh, they had no problem covering the receivers, but that's not going to do much when Martinez, you know, passes the cornerback for 20 yards. Yeah, I mean, he he he's definitely a very capable runner, and, you know, it's – it's surprising how teams play him. I mean, it probably largely to do with Texas Tech not having the horses to be able to stay with him. You know, they probably didn't have the linebacking core to really uh, keep up with him. So, all right, let's move on. Purdue, Minnesota, very boring game. This game was like 10 nothing into like the third quarter. And then, um, oh no, it was into the second. But then Minnesota went and tied it 10-10, and then Purdue poured it on. The with a, at that point. What? They, all Purdue did was just melt the clock after that. No, I know. and But they did a good job because it was like, if they just kept the ball away from um, Minnesota, they were going to – and it was also Morgan throwing those picks. Like, yep. you know, he was not accurate for the most part. And uh, I didn't even see – was Ibrahim Ibrahim – was he hurt? Um, because he's not on. He's not on the stats list was there. I didn't hear yeah. anything, so I don't know. But um, you know, he's again what I think is a very vital piece to Minnesota's offense is Ibrahim because that guy's that guy's just man. He's just he's just a very solid Big Ten back. And if they don't have him, the rest of these other guys are not as good. And it was evident last year, and it's evident this year that they don't have it. So um, I feel bad for them in this loss. But, again, it's not the end of the world. They have a lot to play for in Minnesota. Purdue, on the other hand, is definitely a team that will probably scare everyone that's on their schedule because they're very capable of beating almost anybody. But their schedule is the – or just the power five version of app state. And I mean that in yeah. the best way. <laughs> right. No, it totally like, no makes sense. When you see them on the schedule, you cannot just be like, Oh, easy win. They look like a cupcake, but there's actually a razor blade hiding in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're definitely like an eight win team that is capable on offense and solid enough on defense to, to make stops when they need to. I mean, their schedule the rest of the year is super soft. the, Hardest team they play the rest of the way is Maryland, and the rest of them are, like, having terrible years. Northwestern, Indiana, Illinois has been doing better. I could see them having a tougher time with Illinois, but Iowa's kind of struggling. Wisconsin just fired Paul Chris. Nebraska fired Scott Frost. So, like, they have a very good chance of getting back into a decent bowl game. They have two losses, so that kind of hurts, but um, you know, their two losses are against two very good teams and one that I think very highly of Syracuse and one that I think is, you know, just kind of fortunate to be where they're at in Penn state, but, uh, let's move on. Uh, here's a blowout. We're going to discuss this real quick because we don't have to go too much in this one. Ohio state 49 Rutgers 10, not much to really talk about here. Just a, an ass whooping. The only thing I wanted to talk about really out of this was the, um, uh, Mayan Williams, yeah, five <laughs> rushing touchdowns, and I think he had 
189 yards rushing, just a crazy day. And he was because he's not the starter. Travion Henderson is, and he wasn't in for whatever reason. I don't remember hearing why, but he wasn't there. And then just Mayan Williams just destroys him. Um, but I'm going to move on because there's nothing really to talk here because it's it's a cupcake. There the only thing really two things to note were the fight and the fact that I remember seeing it when Rutgers went up. It was the first time they had a lead on Ohio State in five years. Just Jeez. in general, a lead in five years against That's Ohio sad. State. Well, the one thing I'll just mention about Ohio State, they only really have two more games left this year. And that is one against Penn State and one against Michigan because Michigan State is shitting the bed. Iowa's not very good. Northwestern's not very good. Indiana's not good. Maryland's okay, but Ohio State's going to roll them. So really only two more roadblocks for Ohio State the rest of the year. Um, and I think they beat both of those teams easily. So I really only think that Ohio State has the Big Ten championship game, which they should win. And the playoffs, which I think they'll struggle with whatever team they'll play because whatever team they'll play will likely have the best defense that they'll play all year. And also potentially, conversely, the best offense they'll play all year, which I'm waiting to see with how um, that former Oklahoma State coordinator does. I can't remember his name, but uh, the defensive coordinator. I know he's very good, and I just want to see it against a better team to really know for sure if what he has been working on is really going to take hold with these guys, especially in the playoffs, because that's kind of why they even hired him. It's like, you know, they can, they can beat teams in the big 10, but it's like, can they beat these better teams in the playoff? Okay. So moving on, Texas A&M going up against Mississippi state, just a, I mean, this wasn't even close. This was a blowout all the way through um, Mississippi state wins 42, 24, uh, you know, oh, I didn't put him in my Heisman list, what I sent you, Ian, but I've been kind of leaning towards it. Will Rogers is putting up mm-hmm. crazy numbers week in, week out, and I don't see why he doesn't deserve it, especially if Mississippi State continues to win. If they can win 10 games, then there's no reason why he shouldn't be at least in New York. Like, yeah. there's no reason why if he's putting up 300, 400-yard games every week – he should be up there. That's some of the best stats we've had in the last like five years. And it's like, he deserves to be there if that's the case. And he's, he doesn't make mistakes. He's very uh, methodical. And he's, he, I mean, I'm looking at his numbers. How many, how many receptions all these receivers had, like every one of them had like over three receptions and that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them. Wait, no, seven of them. Sorry. Seven of them. Seven guys had three or more receptions. That is ridiculous. And just, I, Mike Leach doesn't get enough credit for doing what he's been doing. And I think largely what the national media has been talking about from this game is obviously Jimbo Fisher because of the huge contract and the buyout and like, you know, his deficiencies the last couple of years. I don't really care. I I know Texas A&M is an eight and four team. I just know it. I know it before the year. I know it now. I know that's just what it, what they are. And they may even be worse. But what I really like from this game is Mississippi State. And I want to see where they go because that is interesting to me because that is an offense that if they can keep this going, they can play against anyone. And their defense is getting better, which that might be the difference 
from years past with Mike Leach is not having the best defense. And, you know, I'm excited for them because it's, it's a different team. You know, it's like, you know, Mississippi state has been a team ever since I've been alive that struggled to win games and, you know, only really Dan Mullins era, were they any good at all? And now it's like Mike Leach is there and it's like, man, the sky is the limit with this guy. Cause he's, he's a super intelligent football mind that if he gets better and better recruits and I don't know, man, it'd be really interesting to see what he does in the next couple of years with this team. Yeah. And I, I, I agree. I totally get that the attention is on AM, and I am going to, I do want to say something about it in a sec, but I do agree. Mississippi state, especially offensively. I, I remember thinking like, if they can put teams into like any team they play into a box and force them into a shootout, then you're playing their game. Mississippi state yeah. has a style and they're able to jump on teams when they can. Oh yeah. Um, obviously them, you know, high passing team and all that. Um, it's very uh, one dimensional, but it is affected because Rogers has so many options and the concepts of these crossing routes, he's going to find somebody open. If not, he'll use his legs to get the first sound. Yeah. That being said, I made this comment that made everybody in the room laugh. <laughs> I said this, how is it that A&M gets these number one classes or like, you know, top 10 classes, top five classes for since Fisher has gotten there. Yeah. How is it since Fisher has gotten there? Have they not found a good quarterback? I'm being serious. I like, don't know. Well, he inherited, um, God, what's his face? The the guy that was drafted by the Vikings. I can't even remember his name. He he inherited him, and he was never really that good of a quarterback. He just, I don't know. He was just okay. And then last year. He was hitching his wagon to Haynes King, and Haynes yep. King got hurt, and so they were all like, oh, they didn't know what they had, and then uh, Calzado was there, and then they beat Alabama, and it was like, oh, maybe we have something, and then Haynes King is coming back next year, and then Haynes King comes in and struggles, and then they brought in Max Johnson from LSU, and Max Johnson is very limited. He doesn't have a strong arm. Um, he's essentially a game manager nothing really more than that and it just it just has not worked and i don't know man i mean they thought that jimbo was going to be this amazing offensive mind and i guess he is i don't know i just never really thought that what he did at fsu was that amazing i think it was almost fool's gold because they had one of the easiest schedules ever for a uh, national championship winning team. So like they kind of lucked into that 2013, 2014 championship. And then it was like, you know, when the playoff happened and they finally were going to have to play more than one good team just to get a win or to get the championship, they got smoked by Oregon. And I just, I don't know. I just never thought highly of Jimbo as, as much as everyone else did. That's just my opinion. I know it might seem as a Florida State hater, but it wasn't that. Because I remember even in the rise of Florida State during those couple of years, it just seemed like there was always something missing for whatever reason. And then it was also, once Clemson got really good, that was really like the demise of Florida State too. And so it was like Jimbo really couldn't ever contend with Clemson from that point on. And... Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if he ever was going to, um, you know, it's almost the same thing. You know, once he jumped into Alabama's division, it's basically the same thing, but, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know where he ends up, what happens. I mean, at this point, it more than likely seems he's going to get fired. He has the same record as Kevin Sumlin at the same point in their A&M careers. Um, does that mean, uh, bad things for uh, Jimbo, which considering how much money was put towards him, that's really the difference. I think if it was not as much money, I don't think people would be worried about him being fired. But I think because there is a crazy amount of money that went towards him and it's like he could, it's just, it's just kind of frustrating for all these fans, especially like they're spending all this money. They spent all this money on, Jimbo, then they're spending all this money on getting these recruits there with the NIL deals. And it's like, nothing is working. And it's like, it is bizarre. Cause I would have thought it would have worked by now, especially how, how big of a recruiting class they got last year, but those guys are all freshmen. So it's like, you're not necessarily going to get a ton out of guys that are 18 years old. Um, maybe like two years from now, all those guys will hit. But as of right now, it's kind of tough to say anything about that, but I don't know. I, like I said, what I want to take from this game is Mississippi State being a better yeah. team, and I'd like to see where their trajectory is going. Okay, moving on. Um, LSU-Auburn. I, like I said last week, I used to love this game. It was one of my favorite games that was a non-Florida game in the SEC. It was always like a very defensive-minded uh, battle between the two, very close. I remember one game was like 7-3, to three, and it was like heavy hitting and like just ferocious – and now it seemed really inept. <laughs> and like, just, I don't know. LSU was very lucky to be in the position they were to win this game. I mean, Jaden Daniels only threw for 80 yards. Like, that's terrible. And Auburn's not a good team, but I mean, Auburn's defense is all right. Um, but still, just a pathetic performance. I mean, Auburn probably should have won this game. They no, were upset. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. That was my takeaway from this game. This game, watching it actually pissed me off because I was saying it was literally like watching Nebraska with Scott Frost. They went up 17-0, and I'm like, okay, Auburn, you're up 17-0 at home. You are dominating LSU. They are not getting, like, struggling. They are not getting much rushing. You are clogging up the holes. The only thing you have to do is not trip over yourself. And then they fumble the ball and score, on a, and then they score on that. And I was like, oh, my God, this is it. They score soon after, and then in the third quarter, there was a 20-yard, uh, you know, they went the drive of the field, and they scored a touchdown. I'm like, okay, it's the third quarter. You at least have an entire another quarter and a half, and they could do nothing with it. They did not respond. They just sat on their butt and just watched LSU take every chance they had to win the game. They literally gave the game to LSU. That's what I'm saying. This is more Auburn losing the game than LSU winning it. LSU did not deserve to win this game. They got lucky that Auburn was just handing the ball to them because that's what it boiled down to. And like I said, it ticked me off because I was like – Auburn should have won, and they just couldn't get out of their own way. Yeah, for sure. No, you're totally right. And, like, I mean, the the play that was shown over and over again in the highlights of this game was that 
you know, they're second and goal and they uh, hand it off to the wide receiver sprinting out and he goes back to do a pass instead of holding it and just throwing it away or whatever, just taking a loss. He is getting tackled and he throws it and it just gets intercepted. And it's like, it was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I don't know, just bizarre play calling. They should have never called the play in the first place. And it was obviously, you know, wrong. Uh, what happened at the end, uh, just, I mean, the guy Harson, the coach is just hanging on at this point. He barely beat Missouri. You know, that was a uh, miracle that they won that game. And then, you know, they should have won this game, but they, oh, they pissed it away. Um, They go up against Georgia next week, so they're probably going to get blown out. Um, I don't know when he'll be fired, but I'm, I'm thinking. That man walking, Brian Harrison. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking probably by, probably by the end Probably by Alabama, like before the Alabama game. I'd say sooner. I'm, I'm yeah. not kidding. I think yeah. actually maybe after Auburn. I did say, though, if LSU won and Harrison would get fired while leaving the field, right? So that was yeah. the one prediction I got wrong. Yeah, because they got a tough road. They have Mrs. Ole Miss next week, Arkansas, and Mississippi State right in a row. So they could easily lose those three. And that's after Georgia. So that's four tough games in a row. <clears throat> yeah, I just don't see it. All right, let's move on. Um, just real quick, Eastern Carolina, South Florida. Eastern Carolina just destroyed them 48-28. I mean, it's at this point, it looks like it's over for uh, Jeff Scott. I don't know why he wasn't fired after the game. I think largely to do with just because it was the hurricane week and they had to go to the East Coast to play at – uh, Florida Atlantic in Boca Raton. So I think they probably gave them that. Um, you know, they have Cincinnati this week in Cincinnati. It's just going to be a blowout. I, I, you know, they're probably going to lose to Tulane, lose to Houston. They could beat Temple. They could, they're going to lose to SMU and they could beat Tulsa. And then, sure. then they have UCF. So uh, at most, they're going to have two wins again. So I don't know. I, I tweeted something today. Just I was like, I saw someone that is a, a, a verified um, USF alumni. And I, you know, tweeted in it. And I was just saying, like, how, how crazy it was. Because he was talking about the UCF game uh, in 2017. And I was like, you know, from that point... I moved out to Florida or California the the following Sunday after that game. And I thought, you know what? They're winning 10 games. They should have a great season in the next couple of years. They should be, you know, there's a lot of talent on the team. And it just literally from that point on, they've only won 15 games from that game, which is like amazing how little they've done in the last five years. And it's just, I feel terrible because it's like, all the alumni and all the students really want to support this team, but it's just, it's going nowhere and it's really gone nowhere, especially with coach Scott. And I had high hopes. I thought this was going to be the year that they could, you know, turn it around. I don't even know if like turning it around will necessarily do anything this season. You know, if like they win, like, I don't know the say they win like four games out of the, their, their last seven. Okay. Like, all right, they went five and seven, but they looked terrible in the rest of those other games. 
does that really, you know, quell what, uh, whatever else the impression of the, uh, the program, is that going to turn into next year? I don't know. I mean, is it, you know, you know, sometimes like coaches yeah. like survive the year, but they still end up getting fired the next year. So you're almost like behind the eight ball. If you don't fire them right away, you know, it's always said like, what's, what's best is to do it now instead of wait or whatever the saying is. I can't remember exactly, but it's, it's essentially just it, what, it, what must be done in the future must be done, should be done now. So like, if you're going to fire him anyways, you should just go ahead and fire him now. I hate saying this cause I like coach Scott. He seems like a good person and I really wanted him to, to succeed, but it's really been just go like, I mean, four wins in three years is not acceptable. I don't care who, where you are, even if you're at USF, which we've never been the top dog echelon, but it's still like, you know, USF does not need to be in the dregs not need to be in the Vanderbilts of the world or the, you know, uh, you know, Rutgers of the past or terrible teams of the past. But I don't know. It's just, there's so much recruiting in this area. There's so much talent that doesn't go to USF. And if it just went to USF, just a portion of it, like, give me like, give me five of those four stars that come out of this area. Cause there's like at least 20 that come out of the Tampa Bay area, at least 20. And like, if give me five, you know, we're going to be good every year, but they're not getting any of them. They're not getting any good players out of, out of the Tampa Bay area. And that's what's really is killing them. It's killed them forever. And it's like, if they're ever going to be a playoff contending team, it has to start with recruiting and especially recruiting in Tampa Bay area. I agree. Yeah. All right. Georgia, Missouri. I'll let you lead this one since I just went off on USF. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I get a lot of people were worried about Georgia, and rightfully so. Georgia looked terrible yeah. through three quarters. Yeah. And then they woke up. Yeah. That's what happened. That is exactly what happened. This is a concerning thing. If this was the first time this season, maybe fine. I mean, it'd still probably be number one. Yeah. They didn't look good against Kent State last week, and then yeah. they go on the road to Mizzou, who is a very weak uh, opponent, and you're having to claw a win out there. That's where the concern is. The passing game was not effective uh, at the early part. The Mizzou uh, defense was able to you know, plug up the inside of uh, McIntosh and the rushing attack for Georgia. And they and honestly, that was the best defense I've seen against Brock Bowers, I think, since Brock Bowers has been the starter at Georgia. Um, but this was the thing is that you could tell they kept kicking field goal after field goal after field goal. And I wanna when they kicked another field goal, especially when they had the false start at the one yard line, where they could have gone up twenty two, I think it would have been three. I remember saying if they keep kicking field goals, they're on a ticking time bomb. It's only a matter of time before Georgia wakes up. They woke up, and then in the fourth quarter, they just drove past Missouri. Uh, they, if, especially if you look at the stats, they, they should have won by more. But it's not a good look for Georgia. Honestly, kind of a good look for Missouri. Um, but you could tell they were just trying to hate on as long as possible. But they just didn't have the talent, and that was the thing. Talent won the game. Not coaching, not nothing. Talent bailed out Georgia 
big in this game. Maybe not so much against Kent State, but it definitely did this week. Um, and I same thing I've said about Florida and other teams when they have bad performances. If you keep this up and you just go into games sleepwalking thinking, oh, we're going to win this, that's where you get bit in the butt. And it almost happened against Mizzou. Uh, they just – that's why I said great teams find a way to be great consistently and not sleep on games. And that's something Georgia has to learn. Yeah, but I don't like – I don't think this is a great team. I think they had a good performance against Oregon, largely to do with the inability of Oregon to tackle well. And, um, you know, that led to a blowout there. But, you know, South Carolina is not a good team. And um, they finally played up a, played against a good defense in Missouri. And they could have gotten beat. They played well enough to win, but... You know, Missouri, God, if that guy, that running back that ran loose, if he doesn't go down at the one and if he actually scores, Missouri probably wins the game. So, you know, it's it's definitely um, – I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of, like, Georgia overall. I don't think they're up at the echelon of last year because they had a really good defense last year. But a lot of those guys are gone. So they still have some parts from last year, but not as many. And there's a lot of younger guys in there. So there's a lot of like learning on the job type stuff going on. So that's where there's, you know, that huge run up the middle, the, you know, them having plays where they were, you know, getting wide receivers open. Um, You know, it's not like Missouri was, you know, completely destroying them offensively. They weren't. It was, they were making, uh, they were making use of what they were doing. And then also, you know, Georgia fumbled the ball twice. So that was a huge difference in the game. And and Missouri didn't turn over the ball once. So that's right there is a huge reason why the game went the way it did. Um, I think takeaway from this game, Missouri looks tougher than they probably seemed considering – they didn't look so great against Auburn and they didn't look so great against Kansas State, but they looked very well against this team, considering this was considered at the point the number one team in the nation. Georgia, on the other hand, um, has a lot of work to do. They have two soft teams next week, next two weeks, so they will probably write the ship, um, Auburn and Vanderbilt, but um, we'll see. All right, let's move on. Um, Alabama, Arkansas. This is an interesting game because I only was following the score as I was at this wedding. And so I didn't get a real chance to actually like watch it while it was happening. I watched the the package today getting ready for the show. And I didn't realize how close it got after yeah. Alabama went up so much. And I kind of understand because Jalen Milrow is not the best passer. So I can see why they like, struggled to really get their offensive going when Bryce Young went down. Um, but uh, he definitely has wheels, though, Milrow. He can definitely run. But really, the standout out of anything was Jameer Gibbs. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. I mean, just two monster runs and just – I mean, the kid is – the kid is unreal. And it's kind of unfair that Alabama gets such a solid player – 
but it's just what Alabama does. They, you know, not only do they get the best high school recruits, then anyone that's transferring out of their school, the best transfers go to um, Alabama as well. And that's what Jameer Gibbs is. Um, uh, Passing wise, their attack wasn't that great, but KJ Jefferson at points looked good and looked competent and looked like they were running on them. Uh, Raheem Sanders had 101 yards. It's just, I don't know. It just was, they got to a point where it was just, Alabama just took them out and that was it. It's just, they became Alabama and it was over. Um, anything that stands out for you in this one? Yeah. I, I, God bless for Arkansas. Like, honestly, you know, again, you look at the score and you go, Oh, they walled them. Hey, they did. But Arkansas did everything they possibly could. And really you got to play all quarters and Arkansas played pretty much two and a half quarters. Yeah. Alabama played all four. Right. Um, okay, they maybe played three. They didn't look too good in the third quarter. But, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, and I think when it came down to the fourth quarter, just Alabama had more in the tank, and they know how to win those games. And that, and that just comes from that experience. Um, and that was is just Bama knew how to, you know, pull away from a team that just wouldn't go away, both offensively and defensively, even when your star quarterback is down. And I agree. Um while, you know, it wasn't, you know, once Bryce Young went down, I know everybody thought, like, the, you know, the sky was going to fall. But Melo still did pretty good. He was able to, you know, find a way to make the big play, whether it be on the air, which, like I said, not the most accurate. But he made more plays with his legs, which were necessary. And although Young can run, I don't think he runs as well as Melo. And that's something Arkansas didn't game plan for. So it was actually oh, yeah, for sure. yeah, maybe a worse thing for them. But all in all, you know. Good try, Arkansas, but join the you know the rest of the room of good tries against Alabama. Yeah. All right, moving on. NC State Clemson, probably the biggest game of the day because it was a, I believe a ten five matchup at that point. I don't remember what NC State was, uh, but yeah, it was. Yeah, so it was interesting, but it just seemed like Clemson pretty much had control almost most of the way through. And um, Clemson's defense looks better, which I think that might be what stands out the most to me out of this Clemson run so far this year. Like their defense looks solid, which could, you know, your defense, if your defense is solid, you don't have to score as much points. But on the other hand, now it seems like they're scoring, you know, where last year they were struggling to score this year, uh, Ugalele. Um, he's, you know, he had three TDs, um, had close to 300 total yards. Like he, he was, he was, he looked really good. He looked confident. He looked like in control. Um, you know, he was passing the ball all over the, all over the place. I think, um, going forward, this Clemson team is definitely has what it takes to be in the playoff. And, you know, like, if you think about it with their schedule, um, Really, the only two games that stand out to me that they have to worry about are Florida State and Clemson, uh, Clemson, uh, Syracuse, Florida State and, and Syracuse. And I really think they could beat Florida State. The Syracuse game will be closer because I really like the Syracuse team. I think they're a lot better than Florida State. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, two games to really worry about. And then they got the 
they're basically in the playoff at that point. So um, look out for them. What, what are your thoughts on this one, Ian? Yeah, this was the Clemson I've been waiting to see for over a year. Yeah. Um, they, again, last year, again, I, it's hard for me to get mad at a team that went nine and three. I know a lot of programs were kill for a season like that. Right. I know for Clemson standards, standards, it wasn't what they wanted. Yeah. Um, and I know everybody was saying, oh, Alabama had the rebuilding year. Clemson had more of a rebuilding year. They had more new players and all that. So they didn't look as ready. But now you can see it's starting to click. They had a great win against a really good Wake team. Seriously, Wake might be the most underrated team in the nation. Oh, yeah. um, and then they come out against NC State and a team that beat them, that broke their, you know, whatever long streak. Um, and they were able to do, you know, just strangle them throughout the game. And I remember, like, after the first quarter, and I know NC State was hanging in there, um, and, I, you know, I think they took the lead. Um, I know they scored, like, the first touchdown. But after, I, I shouldn't say, at halftime, they were up 13 and, you know, 13 and 10. Mm. I remember thinking, I'm going to I'm gonna go with Clemson on that. I feel confident Clemson is going to win this. And sure yeah. enough, you know, they scored the touchdown, and they were able to force uh, NC State to kick field goals. And once, you know, Potter, you go away, we scored that touchdown. Um that I was like, yeah, that's the Clemson I've been waiting to see for a while. Um, very good win. Clemson looks very, very good. And I know a lot of people wanted to write them off saying, oh, Clemson is done. They're, you know, they're, they had a good run, but their dynasty is over. I, I don't see it. I honestly don't. They, yeah, the schedule is very fair to them, but they just went against two very good teams and they found yeah. a way to, you know, win them their way. They had yeah. to go in a shootout and beat Wake Forest in a shootout, and then they had to go methodical and beat NC State. Right. Yeah, and they did, oh. and they were – I I really think this team is up there with the top four teams right now. I, I Like, I, there's no denying it at this point. Like, um, they're as good as on defense as Ohio State. Um, they're probably as good on offense as – um, Georgia at least. And so they're, they're definitely like, they belong. Like there's no denying that. I know their, their schedule is kind of soft, but like there's, they're beating the teams that are in front of them. And like you said, Wake Forest is a really good team with a really good quarterback. Probably Sam Hartman's probably the best quarterback in the country. Um, and he didn't even play the whole year. He missed yeah. those couple of games. So it's like, Man, he would his stats would be through the roof right now if he played all year. What were you gonna say? Oh, I was just saying, yep, that's my my guy. I, I yeah, mean, I love Sam know, I called that first. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't know what happened to him with that medical stuff. I hope he's all right because I really want to see what he does in the NFL. But um, yeah, I just hope he's all right uh long term. Okay, moving on. Oklahoma TCU. This was a surprise. I TCU had been doing well all year, but like to blow That's out Oklahoma, is. like just 55 24, kind of crazy, kind of. But you know, really what happened was Gabriel got hurt, and that was really the end of that game. The TCU was already up at that point by a decent amount, but it was like once he got hurt, it was like, you know, Oklahoma had no chance. And um, God, uh, Duggan. 
Duggan can run, man. Yeah. He is fast for like, I was watching that one run and I'm like, I thought the guy was going to catch him and he just ran right by him. I'm like, damn, like that guy's fast. (laughs) And he had two TDs. That Kendra Miller kid is fast too, man. He has a lot of long runs because he had ones against uh, SMU as well. I don't know, man. I'm that this is a team that is very feisty and very interesting to see what they end up doing. Um, Next week is a huge game and the week after that as well. So we'll see. They play Oklahoma State and Kansas State right in a row. We'll see what they're actually made of because these are two. Oh, and Kansas. Sorry. Yeah, I forgot about that one. So all three of these games, very solid uh, games. Anything that stands out for you, Ian? You know, uh, death of a salesman. Yeah. This is death of a season. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I remember thinking, uh, Oklahoma, okay, you have bad loss against Kansas State, um, where you just got outplayed by, a, a, honestly, an inferior team. Yeah. How do you go about it going on the road against TCU, a team you have historically done very good with? And again, a team that should not be at, you know, isn't at their level. No offense to TCU, but Oklahoma does have more talent. And then you do that. And I remember thinking this, their season's done. Because I don't see it because that's two losses in the Big 12. Now they need help. And they have to play. They play Texas this week. Then they play Iowa State. Um Kansas eventually, I think Kansas is in between those two. Uh, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and for Bedlam and Tech. Tech should be a win, but that's like that's kind of a gauntlet for them for a team that has just been looking atrocious. And again, I get Big Twelve not known for their defense, but that is unacceptable. They've given up over thirty points the past. Two games, respectively. I know they, you know, they control teams like Kent State, UTEP, and, and Nebraska is just uh, gawking on a car wreck looking at them. But to do that, that's 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 what I said. I was like, this is death of a season. This season is over, and Oklahoma is going to have to really look into the mirror to figure out how are you going to get through this because this is something Oklahoma has not had to go through in a long time, where you get blown out after a bad loss early in the year, and now you got to find what kind of team you have. And you still have the rest of the season go with teams that have been dying to get you while they're weak. Yeah, and the Texas-Oklahoma game this weekend coming up is the only game in the entire Big 12 not having a ranked team in the matchup. So it's bizarre. I mean – both of these teams, Texas and Oklahoma, are struggling, and it would be—it's kind of a afterthought about this game coming up uh, with some of these other games. All right, let's move on. Um, the Big Twelve uh, Championship rematch: Oklahoma State going against um, Baylor in Baylor in Waco. Uh, really good game, kind of back and forth, but Oklahoma State kind of from like midway through the third on really got control of the game. And, uh, you know, and then Baylor kind of kept back in it, but, you know, for the most part, Oklahoma state was the better team and they didn't even really have to throw the ball that much. You know, there was really, they were running, uh, a, a lot on them. Uh, Richardson and both Spencer Sanders were effective on the ground. And, uh, 
you know, Baylor looked all right. It was really, you know, the two turnovers, the two interceptions that Baylor had that pretty, pretty much changed this game, especially beginning <laughs> that of the was game. The difference. Yeah. And that was really why the game changed. And, uh, you know, Baylor was getting stops. They forced Oklahoma State into five punts. But, you know, I don't know. It just seems like Oklahoma State right now is the better team, and they're undefeated still. So they will move on. And uh, anything for you on this game? Uh, you know, it, it kind of felt like the Big 12 championship, except Oklahoma State, they're at the pro- point where with teams like this, they know how to win these games. Defense stepped up when it needed to. That defense seriously is underrated in the Big 12 and in the country. Um, only other thing to add, those are the most god-awful uniforms I've ever seen on a field with Baylor. With the yellow? <laughs> the yellow, I, I remember saying it looks like somebody put like little pieces of relish on mustard. And it was like, just too, it's too much yellow. It's too much. That's not a color that should, you know, some yellow is fine. All yellow, it's too much for me to watch, uh, you know, at least it had a contrasting surface. Because I was thinking, I've seen like concepts where they put like yellow fields and I was like, I'll throw up. I mean, I didn't have a problem with it. I didn't think it looked that bad. I liked Oklahoma State's uniforms. Oh, the white helmet. Yeah, it yeah. looked solid. Um, but let's move on. Uh, Oregon State, Utah. I would have thought this game would have been a decent game. But, man, Utah is just on this revenge tour ever since they got beat against Florida. And they win 42-16, um, you know, rising four TDs. Uh, nearly 300 yards total between rushing and passing. Just another solid performance. Probably the difference in this game was the four interceptions because that was really, I think it was like one in the end zone or two in the end zone. And like, so it's like, you know, Oregon State was able to move the ball, but couldn't punch in. And so that was really the difference here. Anything that stands out for you? Yeah, I, I, I'm still going to stick by it where I think Utah is the most complete and ready team in the Big 12. Because um, this was, you know, a methodical performance that you see from a program at this level, um, as you should see from them. So, you know, good win for them. Um, they they made all the plays that were necessary um, and all the big plays, more, uh, more importantly. Um, they just have to keep this momentum going. Uh, uh, to continue because they're still undefeated in conference play. The road gets a lot tougher this week. We'll talk about them. Uh, again, they're going through hell month. All right. Uh, this is a game that I, I have like <laughs> last couple of years, I have a really good like sense of how this Florida state team is going to do. I don't know what it is. I've been like almost like the Florida state whisperer. And this one, you know, continued. I, called this one that Florida State was going to lose this. And it's not like that it was like that big of a stretch, you know, because Sam Hartman is who we think he is. He's very good and, um, you know, proved it again. But it was a collective because it wasn't just Sam Hartman in this game. It was Justice Ellison who went over for 114 yards. Christian Turner had 64 yards. Um, You know, their defense played solid. Uh, I think – you know, that field goal at the end of the half was definitely detrimental because they were trying to put more points on for Florida State and he missed a, a chip shot field goal. Um, they had one fumble loss, which was uh, huge. And 
but I didn't really think Florida State really stood out to me in this game. Uh, they came back a little bit, especially because they they went up seven nothing to start, and it looked like they could move the ball. And then it was just like Wake kind of took them out of the game for like three quarters, basically from that point on, because essentially it was like that beginning drive and then the rest of the first, second, and then part of the third. So they like almost took them out for a total of three quarters there without doing anything well. Um, I just know that coming up, Florida State has NC State, Clemson, Syracuse, and Florida on their schedule. And I'm sorry, but there's at least three losses there. I know it between those four teams. And they do play Miami as well. And I don't know what Miami team they'll see because um, as of right now, it's kind of falling apart there. Um, they Good thing they had a bye week this week. So hopefully they'll be recouping. But Florida State, yes, they had a great start. They were 4-0. Wow, whoop-dee, they got ranked. I just didn't think highly of them, and I don't think highly of them. I think they're a, a middling team that may win six games, and that's just their ceiling right now. That's just who they are. They do have decent pieces. Pittman, the the wide receiver, is all right. Their mm-hmm. two running backs are decent. And um, uh, what is it, that guy? Oh, that DN. I can't remember the DM. Verse, I think that's his name, yeah. uh, number five. Yeah, he's solid. He's definitely, definitely a capable player. Um, but the rest of the team is not very good. Um, I've never really thought highly of Jordan Travis. I've never been a fan of his. Um, I know that others think he's, he's something to write home about, but I didn't think he was that great, but he performed well in this game, but it wasn't obviously well enough because they never were really in contention of, uh, of beating wake the entire day. They were down 28 to seven at one point. So they were getting beat pretty bad. Um, anything that stands out for you? I will say at least for, and I'm, I did say this. Jordan Travis is the best quarterback they have had since Winston. Take that with a grain of salt. I'm not saying he's as good as Winston. Yeah. But he is the best one. He's the most complete. I, I do think he has made a jump from last year. He's settled in. And I was going to say that because the Florida State offense did react well when they were getting – when they were trying the run game early, which was their bread and butter all season, and Wake was not, not happening. So they went to the air, and Travis did make the necessary plays, but obviously not enough. Um, I will say, though, when they went down the field and scored in like five, six plays, Florida State, right out the gate, and I was like, okay, this is, you know, that's what you want to see from a team that's just been dying to get something. And then Wake literally burns the rest of the quarter and goes for like 15-plus plays down the field and scores a touchdown. And you could hear a pin drop at Doe Campbell Stadium, and they just completely like elbowed them throughout the game. And that they definitely, uh, Florida State made it uh, closer towards the end. Uh, but once the Wake was playing keep away and they were able to kick the uh, clinching field goal, I don't get though the coaching decisions that were made there. Um, especially they, you know, they went for two when they scored the touchdown and it was 28 to 13 and they wanted to go for two. And I'm like, why are you doing that? You're it's still a two possession game and your defense at least has stopped them to this point. Um, at least to this half. And then they wanted to, I always say, if you need to score a touchdown and a field goal, go for the touch and like, you have less than a minute, 
go for the touchdown first because that's all it's harder to, how many Hail Marys have you seen made compared to game winning field goals it is easier to set your guy up for a field goal than it is a Hail Mary but they went for the field goal missed it game over I just didn't understand the coaching decisions but Wake looked fantastic but again this was a Wake Forest game the passing was crisp it was on point and the rushing attack kept Florida State's defense on their toes um and Wake just uh, continues onward. It definitely got a bit scary at the beginning and a little at the end, but Wake had this game. All right, moving on. Last one real quick. I'll just cover this one real quick. Texas beats West Virginia 38-20. to This was pretty much in hand the entire time. Um, Texas had control. Uh, so not much to say there. So except for B. John Robinson going – for 101 yards and a touchdown. Okay, moving on. Oh, that was a rushing. Did he receiving was? you have anything? Uh, just 34 yards receiving. Okay. Um, so let's move on to Heisman uh, standings. Who are your uh, Heisman candidates, Ian? Yeah, I put uh, Trevino of uh, UCLA on there. Henry nice. Humphrey still on there. Yeah. Uh, Colm of Michigan had another good game. And Sam Hartman, Wake Forest. Of course, Bryce Young, I am pretty God he's okay. Yeah. And uh, CJ Stroud, of course. Yeah. I still have all mentioned above. I have Caleb Williams, which you did not have, uh, Hennon Hooker, and Will Anderson, who I really love because he's one of those guys that those defensive stars that potentially could could be there. Okay. Playoff teams. I have Alabama number one, Ohio State number two, Clemson number three, Oklahoma State number four, Georgia number five, and USC number six. Uh, I have Ohio State one, Bama two, Clemson three, Georgia four, and my first two out are Tennessee and Oklahoma State. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're very similar there. Okay, all right, let's do this. Okay, so week six. We're going to uh, – give me one second. Just got to add this thing here. We'll take a look here. Okay. Okay, so first game is Tennessee LSU. Ian, who do you have in Tennessee LSU? Um, I'm going to take Tennessee in this one. LSU's wins, at least the big wins – have been more or less like just teams self-destructing. Mississippi State had them, couldn't finish the job. Auburn had them, couldn't finish the job. I don't think Tennessee's going to fall for that. Tennessee's offense is too good. Hendon Hooker is too dynamic. I'm going to take Tennessee in this one. I'll go with a 34-24 to win for the Volunteers. It would take a lot for LSU to win this game. Like, I'm talking like a really good defensive performance, which their D-line is strong, so that might be a difference maker here. I mean, it would have to be like a really good defensive performance. I'm saying like holding Hooker under like 250 yards, like to 225, and then they could have a chance. But that's a chance because like Daniels hasn't looked good um, I'm going to say Tennessee wins. I'm going to say Tennessee wins, uh, 
30 to 17. Okay, next game, Texas, Oklahoma. What a real kind of like you know, wet blanket this game is, you know, like wet no one really rivalry. cares it's anymore. Rivalry. <laughs> yeah. So who do you have in this game, Ian? Do one of these teams have to win? <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to go with uh, – I'll go with Oklahoma. I, okay. I'll, I'll go with Oklahoma and – Again, I think it might be another shootout. I'll go with the Sooners. I'll go with a 39 to 34 win for Oklahoma. I like the quarterback that's playing in place of yours, um, uh, Card. Right? This card, yeah. And he, he's done quite well. Um, and Bijan Robinson is a potential New York, uh, you know, candidate to come up to New York for the Heisman. I just don't like this Oklahoma team, and I don't really like – if Dylan Gabriel's not there, I really don't like this Oklahoma team. So I'm going to say Texas wins. I'm going to say Texas wins 31-20. to 20. Okay, Arkansas, Mississippi State. Mississippi State, only one loss. Arkansas has two losses. Um, our, uh, Mississippi State has a lot to play for them right now. Arkansas is at this point probably out of the SEC West race. Who wins this one, Ian? Uh, I'm going to take Mississippi State on this one. Uh, Arkansas's defense has had problems against the pass, and that is the worst thing you want to have a problem with against Mississippi State. I'm going to take the Bulldogs in this one. I'll go with a 32-20 win. Yeah, I think... Mine is pretty similar to that as well. I think I'm going to go with like, I think I'm going to go like a 35, 35 to like 24 game. And I just think that Mississippi State has pretty much found their groove on offense so that Arkansas is going to struggle um, to really stop them, much like they struggled to stop Alabama. And I really like this Mississippi State offense to put up points. So TCU, Kansas, I'm going to go first here. Kansas, wow. I I don't think I have done a Kansas prediction in the entire seven-year run of Hater Radio, and I'm not even joking. I really think this is the first time I've ever predicted one of their scores, which says a whole hell of a lot. Um, Hmm. Interesting game because TCU looks very, very formidable the last couple of weeks. Kansas has looked competent. Uh, Their quarterback is very athletic and very uh, elusive. Can TCU slow him down? But it doesn't even really necessarily matter if TCU slows him down because TCU scores a lot of points. It's really the difference in this game is can Kansas stop TCU at all, which I don't think they will. I think TCU wins. I'm going to say TCU wins 42, and I'm going to say to 30. Ian, what you got? Uh, I'm going to say, so for Kansas, for them to win, it has to go to a sh- – they have to win in a shootout. That's what yeah. they've been doing all year. Yeah. And at that point, it's going to be who gets the ball last. 
Right. And I think, and obviously who makes less mistakes. I, I want Kansas to win so bad. <laughs> like really, I really want them to win bad. So it's one of those, you want the fan pick or the analyst pick? I want the analyst pick always. You know that. Yes. Again, as a fan, pulling for the Jayhawks. But I think the Horned Frogs win this one 45 to 38. Okay. Close one. Okay. Missouri, Florida. Um, I'll let you go first. I want to hear your thoughts on this. <laughs> Don't hate me. Here's the thing. This has always been a sticky team for whatever yeah. reason it is. And I understand Missouri is depleted. They are not this good this season. But I don't know what Florida team is going into the swamp that afternoon. And that is the thing that always scares me with this team so far this season. And especially with Anthony Richardson. Are we going to get performances of the Gators where they play great over their heads against Utah and Tennessee? Or are we going to game where they were stuck in the mud against USF and Kentucky? And we've already seen Missouri can play ahead of, you know, play above their heads as well. So, do you want the fan pick or the analyst pick? Ian, always analyst, always. <laughs> this is what we do. We do not know, care about I fandoms. <laughs> I don't feel good, but I'm going to pick Mizzou 24 21. Because I feel like the bad Gators are going to show up. I feel like, I hope they don't, but they've already shown me that they will sleep on a team that they are out should beat. They should have lost to USF. This is a game they should loot. They should win. But I think they get outplayed just straight up. And I think Missouri riding high after holding Georgia, forcing them to beat them in the fourth quarter. 24-21 Mizzou. Prove me wrong. Florida, not you. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, everyone talks about that USF game that they should have lost. Well, you know, if Anthony doesn't throw that pick in the end zone and and the other pick, those two picks, that game could be a blowout. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, games are there are themselves a single entity that contain within them what happens within the game. So, yes, there are certain things that happen and whatever. I saw some guy that I'm friends with was trying to say that Florida should be 0-4 after that stretch, and I was like, what? Like, I'm sorry, but, like, if you can't see that Florida obviously can move the ball offensively, and they struggled against uh, Kentucky and USF, but they did not struggle against Tennessee, and they did quite well against Utah – and they also just came back in this game last week against Eastern Washington and moved the ball very effectively. Um, it's obvious that Anthony is somewhat hurt, either ankle or hamstring or something. Something happened to him. I've heard that it's something happened between the Utah and Kentucky game in practice, and then it's been lingering ever since. So, there is an issue there. That's probably why, you know, you saw on that run against Eastern Washington where he he kind of held up. He could have forced the issue and caught more yards, but he was like, I've had enough of this run and I'm going to run out of bounds. I was so, actually at that game. So I yeah. was looking. I, even when he went back in, he was a little ginger. 
Yeah, exactly. So, but he looked effective passing the ball, which I'm grateful for because that means that hopefully he's figured some stuff out, and it seems like he has. Um, I think running the ball, they're effective. I think their receivers are finally like clicking. They're finally running effective routes, getting open. Shorter looked amazing again. Uh, zipper looks great. Um, defensively, they're struggling. They're very um, lackluster is probably the best word to describe them. And that was my point of contention because the rushing defense has not been there all year. No, and it hasn't. Missouri has run the ball pretty effectively so far. So yeah, they got to find a way to stop it. Right. And, you know, it sucks because if Florida could just get off the field two or three, four times a game, they more than likely have a better chance of winning a game. But they couldn't do that against Tennessee. And they struggled to do that even against Eastern Washington. So, and that's an FCS team. So I don't know. I don't know how they'll do against Missouri as far as defensively, but I think offensively they will move the ball, and I think that's the difference here, and I think that's the way they'll win the game. I think they'll win the game probably like 34 to, I'm guessing, like 24. Okay, Purdue, Maryland. I just threw this one in because it's a Big Ten interesting one. Um, What do you got in this one, Ian? Um. I would probably, you know, Purdue's always been that sneaky team, like I said. Um, but I'm going to give the nod to Maryland here. Um, I think the offense is definitely more capable than it was against Minnesota that Purdue is facing. Honestly, I think Maryland is the best offense that Purdue will probably face for most of the year. So I'm going to give Maryland the nod here. I'll go with a 28-17 to 17 win for the Terrapins. Yeah, and I'm not far off. I got a... Uh... 24-28 victory for Maryland. I just like Maryland's offense as well. Um, Purdue will stay with them, but they won't get the win. Uh, real quick, USF Cincinnati, who, what do you got score-wise? Cincy 35-14. to 14. Yeah, I think it's going to be like 49-10, to like 10, something like that. And Scott will be fired at the end of the game. No, maybe. <laughs> who, know, who knows? Okay. Auburn, Georgia used to be an amazing game. Now it's kind of relegated to a Deep whatever South game. South kicking. Yeah. I'm going to go first here. Um, Georgia looked weak against Missouri and looked weak against Kent State. I think they'll bounce back here. I think they'll win like 30, 38 to like 14. That's what I got. Um, yeah. I'll. Same thing. I think Georgia wakes up and they learn their lesson. Um, I'll go a 34, almost similar, 34 to 13 win. Okay. All right. Next one, Utah. No, no, not that one yet. Uh, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. Um, I like Oklahoma State in this one. I'm going to say Oklahoma State wins, uh let's say a shootout i'm gonna say 42 to 38 that's what i'm gonna go with what do you got i'm gonna go with oklahoma state but i think it actually gets pretty close yeah i'm gonna take uh i'm i am gonna take oklahoma state though i'm gonna go with a 31 to 28 win 28 31 to 28 yes yeah for uh the cowboys yeah 
All right. Big one. I wish I could go to this one, but I actually have stuff going on that day, so I'm not going to be able to. But Utah, UCLA, in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. Um, what do you got score-wise, Ian, for this one? I think Utah, because they're, like I said, they're the most complete team in the Big 12, and UCLA definitely has the weapons necessary to gash them. But I think Utah plays a little keep away, good clock management. And I think they, you know, just ice the game away and just keep it away from, you know, DTR and Shepardo. I'm going to go with Utah on this one. I'll go 28 to 24 in a close one. I have Utah scoring 28 as well, but I have UCLA scoring 32 because that's where I think the difference is in this game is UCLA's offense is very good. And that is really why, um, they'll be able to uh, to win this game as their offense. Okay, this is kind of a snoozer, but Ohio State, Michigan State, does Michigan State score more than 10 points in this game? Ooh. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Buckeyes win. Uh, I'll go – let's go 40 to 7. 40 to 7? 40 to 7. I have 42 to 7, so we're not far oh, off. All right. <laughs> Um, okay. Washington, USC. I, I haven't seen what us or what Washington has done lately since they lost to Oregon, but, um, I'm curious to see how they'll play in this game. I mean, USC is undefeated and scoring points. They didn't score much against Oregon state, but that was on the road. They usually struggle there anyway. So, um, I'm going to say USC wins. I'm going to say USC wins 35 to like 20. What do you got? Um, I'm going to go with USC, but I, again, I think this is going to be a track game. Yeah. Uh, I'll go USC winning and a bit ugly 27 to 24. 27 to 24. Okay. All right. Interesting game. BYU, Notre Dame, uh, Mormons versus the Catholics. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say BYU wins. I'm going to say 31 to, uh, 13. What do you got? Yeah, I'm going to take BYU in this one. Uh, I, I think this is actually going to be the last time the two teams will play as independents. Oh, wow. Uh, That's crazy. BYU goes to the Big 12, I think, next year. Yeah, they do, uh, yeah. But anyways, I'll take uh, BYU in this one. Uh, I think the defense of Notre Dame will actually be able to ground them a bit, uh, so they'll win in the mud. But I'm going to take the Cougars. I'll go with a 23-14 to 14 win for BYU. Wake Forest Army. Interesting matchup. Uh, I'm going to go Wake. Army has been bad. <laughs> so yeah. I think this is a bit of a tune-up game for Wake. Um, I'll go Wake, uh, especially, at least, you know, defensively. Uh, they've been pretty bad. So I'll go Wake wins 42-13. Uh, to 13. Yeah, I'm not far off from you. I got 48-20. Um Iowa State, Kansas State. What do you think in this one, Ian? Um, yes, you know, because Iowa State, again, they have the best defense in the Big 12, and I don't mean that as an insult. Um, you know, that was a tough loss against uh, Kansas. They had to suffer last uh, week, but I think they find a way. I think because defensively, Iowa is better. 
and is honestly smarter. I think they find a way to ground Martinez and make it a one-dimensional game. I'm going to take the Cyclones in the upset. I'll go with a 24-20 win for the Cyclones. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to go with Kansas State. I'm riding their hot hand right now, and I'm going to say they win 35-28. I'm just going to say they're going to be able to move the ball on offense, which has really been their key. Uh, especially with Martinez running the ball. So um, I think they can pull it off. This game was pegged as the biggest game of the year, Texas A&M going up against Alabama. But since Texas A&M has shit the bed, um, it's really kind of been an afterthought this week now. No one one even really cares. It's not like – has like no hype at all. It's been like anti-hype. I'm going to go with my prediction. I'm going to say Nick Saban really wants to kick his ass, especially because – Jimbo was talking trash before last year, uh, before last season when they won. And then he was obviously talking trash and they went back and forth in this offseason. So I'm going to say Nick Saban really goes after him and wins like 49 to like, I don't know, three, something like that. I don't think they're going to be able to do anything. Yeah, I don't think Saban was like the last thing. Again, what (laughs) – the last thing you want is to have Alabama and Nick Saban give you a reason to kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what Jimbo, I don't know what he was thinking, even if he was confident in his team. That's the last thing you want to do. You're just right. poking the bear at that point, and the bear is going to maul them. I'm going to go Alabama 45 to 10. All right. Last one NC State FSU. I'm going to go first. Uh, NC State, you know, lost that game against Clemson. Florida State's coming off against a loss against Wake Forest. I still like NC State just because Florida State has never had real success in Raleigh. They've almost always struggled historically in Raleigh. I don't know what it is. They just can't seem to beat this NC State team on the road. And I think it's going to continue. I like NC State here. I'm going to say NC State wins like a 28-20 game. I'm almost identical. I'm going to go because I think Florida State hangs in there, uh, but the rushing attack gets stuck in the mud early because NC State's rushing defense has been so good this year. I'm going to go NC State 27-20. to Sweet. Okay, that is the show, everybody. Enjoy these games. Um, real quick, our socials are, you can find us at haterradio.com, uh, for the website, uh, for Instagram and Twitter, it's hater underscore radio is our handles there and hater radio one at gmail.com for email. And Ian, what are your socials again? Uh, G double underscore gator, double underscore G for, uh, Instagram and, uh, G gator G for YouTube. So that is the show, everyone. Uh, Take care. Have a good weekend, and we'll, we'll see you next week.